Well, good morning and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Matt Watson and I'm the lead pastor and we're grateful to, to worship. We're grateful to open up God's Word. We're grateful to be together as a family. Um, we're in the book of First Peter. So if you have a Bible, First Peter 1, we're at the end of chapter 1, headed into chapter 2 this morning. I was taking my two oldest to, to school this week. It was Tuesday morning. I turned on the car. I have no idea what radio station was on. Uh, but it was a song as we're, we live just like right down the block, so it's not a long drive. Uh, but as we're listening to the song, it's a classic, one of those great dad songs. Um, I have real, I've learned as I've been working on this sermon and been listening to this song now all week long that some people strongly dislike this song. Okay, I love this song now. I have a renewed love for this song. Um, it's Bob Carlyle's Butterfly Kisses. It's a good one, people. Go home. I'm sorry, but listen to this song. I mean, what a great song. Bob wrote this song about his daughter, Brooke, as he got home one night and, and he's just, he said he was looking through family photographs and he realized she is growing up from a little baby girl to birthday parties and pony rides to looking more like her mama every day. And, and so we're driving to school and I'm explaining the song to my two kids. Like, what, what is a butterfly kiss? And they're like a little weirded out by the song. <laughs> by the time we get to the last verse of the song... Uh, it starts to talk about the dad walking his daughter down the aisle. No longer am I explaining the song. I'm singing the song and weeping at the song. And, and my kids are furiously yelling at me to stop doing whatever I'm doing because we're now on school property and there's people all around us. But it's a beautiful song about life. It's a beautiful song about growth. And my daughter, Caroline, it's much easier when she's not in service. She was here last service. She's just, she's 11. She's going into middle school. She's beautiful like her mother. She's godly like her mother. Um, and one day when she's 40, she can walk down that aisle with me. But <laughs> it's just an emotional song because I can relate to the song. My daughter is growing up, and this is why I like the song. And you get to 1 Peter 1, you get to 1 Peter 2, it's really the same metaphor that Peter's using, that we are to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Like babies grow into adults, we are to grow spiritually as we walk with Jesus. And so this, the metaphor changes now here in 1 Peter. Um, he is now talking about what? Does it look like for us to grow more like Jesus? And here's the truth of it. We never grow out of growing with Jesus. I don't care how long you've known him. I don't care how many times you've been in church. We never can stop doing the hard work of being more like Jesus. So we've been talking here in 1 Peter. We walk through fires we walk through trials and hardship. We have grief and temptations. For this audience, they were facing 
persecution. What is Peter saying? He's saying these fires don't destroy us. They don't burn us to a crisp. What he is saying here is that these fires are opportunities for us to grow. And so Peter continues to talk about what do we do in light of the challenges of life. He says, it is time to grow up into your faith. And so this morning, we want to look through 1 Peter. How might we grow in the way that Peter is challenging these churches to grow? We're going to read verse 22 through verse 3 of chapter 2. So let's read. Having purified your souls... By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, though through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like, a newborn, like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. It is cold we, we are stressed. We, whatever we're feeling this morning, we come to you, God, and we come to you with it. And we pray that you would, you would speak to us today. Whether we're discouraged, whether we're maybe watching at home and we're sick, whether we're tired, whether we're sad, whatever it is, God, we come to you this morning God, we pray that your word would speak truth to our life. All of us, we want to grow with you today. And so, God, we pray that as we think about your word, as we think about a passage that is directed to, to growth, God, I pray that anything that would keep us from growing, God, would be, would be cast aside. Speak to us, lead us, that we may look more like your son Jesus today. Because we, we want to do that. You are, you are worthy of that. And so God, we ask by your spirit, through the son and through this book, God, that you would change our lives for your glory. It's in your name we pray, amen. So we, as we've kind of walked through 1 Peter, last week we talked about the first command, the first two commands that Peter has given in this book. The second one being, we are commanded to be holy, to be distinctly different in light of who Jesus is for us, that we were not with Jesus, we were far from him, but because of his blood, because of his forgiveness, because of his new life, we've been made at one. There's atonement. And so Peter says, it is time to live in light of who you are in Christ. Be different for the new purpose that I have for you. And so really what we see here in 1 Peter as we, as we just read the passage is that Peter is just continuing this idea of what does it look like to live in light or in the shadow of the cross. And last week we said the application isn't be holy. The application was marvel at the cross, be amazed by the cross that in that 
marveling, we would be holy. And so Peter just continues this idea. In light of atonement, in light of forgiveness, in light of your new life, continue to live your life in holiness. But the metaphor changes here in this section of 1 Peter. No longer is it holiness. Now he's talking about growth. Grow with Jesus. In light of who you are, grow with him. And so as we read the passage, I kind of give you the preview of what the application is. What are we growing into? What is the fruit that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives? What's the application or the command of 1 Peter 1? It's verse 22. This is the end of the sermon, but I'm going to tell you here at the beginning. Love one another earnestly. So that's that's the application. That's where we're headed. That's how we are holy. That's, That's how we live out of the shadow of the cross. Love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And so I've been thinking about that phrase. The phrase earnestly. The phrase earnestly means to love intensely with conviction. Sincerely means it's it's not fake, it's not shallow, it's it is not the bare minimum, but it is intense, and it is true, and it is right. And then in verse 1 of chapter 2, he kind of gives us the flip side of the coin, the opposite of what it means to love one another earnestly. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These are the opposites of love. These, the, the, the slander and the hypocrisy and the envy, these destroy relationships. They destroy people. This is the opposite of love. And so Peter is saying, I need you to love each other, brothers and sisters in Christ, people in this room and people in churches who follow Jesus. I need you to love each other sincerely. And so this is the application, but I want to just start by saying that this is a tremendously difficult command. It is tremendously difficult to love one another in this way. Pure, deep love for everyone that follows Jesus. I mean, I can understand loving my wife, my three kids, and my family, but what Peter is saying now is it, is it is that kind of sincere and pure love that is to define and mark your life as a follower of Jesus. And I just want to acknowledge that this is, this is hard. I mean, this is, this is next to near, this is impossible. I mean, how are we to love each other in that same sincere, deep, sacrificing, generous way? I mean, we are so different than each other, kind of getting to know different people. I mean, we have all types of people in this church, different jobs and different personality and different political allegiances, different things that they love, things that they prefer. And and what Peter is saying is, I I don't care how different you are, you are we, I am calling you to love each other, everyone all around you in this church and in the church next door. I mean, what, what a challenging command. It's hard to love people here at this church because we don't know each other. 
How, how are we to love in the same way that we love our brothers and sisters and our spouse and our kids? How are we to love someone that we don't, we don't even know their name? I mean, we see them on Sunday. We shake their hands. But it's hard to love because we, we can't know everyone. We don't know many people. But then when we start to get to know people, it still makes it hard to love them. We get to know what makes them, what, what's challenging to them, what they like and what they dislike. And so all I'm saying here to start is, Peter is calling us to do something tremendously difficult, something that I think we do pretty well here at Mount Calvary Church, but just as a general statement, that it is hard to sincerely, deeply love all brothers and sisters in Christ the way that he's calling us to do it. And so Peter recognizes this. I mean, he's writing five different churches. And he's saying, here's the command. Let me instruct you on how it's possible that you can love each other deeply, sincerely, and sacrificially. And so in this passage, he doesn't just say, go and work hard at loving one another, but instead he lays the framework that out of this framework, now you can love each other if you live in this framework. And so what we see in this passage is two different ways that we can love, or two ways that inform us on how we can learn to love each other in this way. So I'll give you the two points and we'll we'll work through them. Uh, To love in this way, we have to have the seed that's planted and we have to drink the milk. Milk, that's good to drink, right, Justin? Love our milk, whole milk. Have to have the seed that's planted and we have to drink the milk. Two, Two metaphors here. Okay, and again, recognizing that this just doesn't happen. This just doesn't happen. It's not natural to love someone that's really different than you. That love to ourselves, we, won't, we just won't do this. We will come to church and we will go home and we'll shut our doors and we'll live our own lives. But Peter's saying, let me teach you the way, how you might be different and actually love each other. You have to have the seed planted, and then you have to drink the milk. So let's start with the seed planted. I mean, this is common sense, maybe, but it is common sense. When you want to grow something, you have to have the right seed to grow it. That things don't just grow without without seeds. We We had grass planted at our house. Without the grass seed, there was no grass. You can have the best topsoil. You can water the dirt all day long, have perfect sunlight. You need the seed to grow the grass. That's really deep this morning. But this is what Peter is saying. He doesn't just say go and love. He says, first, you better make sure that your love is sprouting out of, growing out of the planted seed in your heart. Look at what he says in verse 22 and verse 23. The highlight would be the seeds. Having purified your souls, love one another. So, You've done this, you've had your soul purified in the past, which allows you to love one another. Then he comes back to it again in verse 27, since, or 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, 
but of an imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Because you've been born again with this new imperishable seed, now you can love one another. Both of these phrases, having purified your soul, having been born again in the Greek, it's called the perfect tense. Now, I don't wanna overwhelm you here, but what these ten, this tense does is it says, this is an action, this is something that's happened in the past that is gonna have ongoing effects on your life. Having, that's, when we, that's why we translate it, you have done this. You have been purified in the past, and that past purification, that past being born again, has future implications on your life. Or for us, in our passage, these past events, the purifying and the planting of this imperishable seed, allows us to love one another in the future. But I just think it's really important to say that this is the kind of growth that we're interested in. Growth or love that comes from a planted, imperishable seed of Jesus Christ in your life. This isn't mechanical. Again, and I, I say this, I know I say this a lot, this isn't just go and work harder. Go and love more, work harder at loving. The, answer, the, the hope is, is that we would have that seed, that from that seed, we would learn to grow in our love for one another. I want to read a quote by Tim Keller that I think does a much better job of illustrating this, the differences between types of growth. Here's what he says. It's critical to understand the difference between being mechanically ethical, which is a matter of externals, and being organically growing from an internal spiritual change. What do I mean? There are two ways something can increase. You have a pile of bricks, and I start to throw more bricks on the pile. Is this pile growing? Yeah, we use the English word growing, but it's just a heaping up. On the other hand, you plant a tulip bulb into the ground, and out over the weeks come a tulip. We call that growing too, but there are two very different kinds of increase, right? The one is just a mechanical heaping up, and the other one is an internal organic growth. The tulip is becoming a more and more complex organism. Therefore, in the same way, the Bible at places like this and all through it is inviting us to say, the biblical writers are saying, I want you to see the difference between the way a brick pile grows and the way a tulip grows. You can be religious, you can be ethical, you can heap up good works, you can heap up perfect attendance pens, you can heap up a spiritual resume, you can heap up an intellectual knowledge of the faith and of the Bible and so forth, but that's not the same as actually becoming a new person. Growing because there has been an internal core transformation growing into a wiser person, into a person who is happier and yet more able to grieve into a stronger person, into a person who's more able to be tough and yet sweet at the same time. So that, this is what we're looking for. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, your love sprouts up out of being purified in the soul. And so before we talk about love, we, we have to ask the question, how might our souls be purified? How might we get to the place where we can say our souls have been cleaned? We have been born again. How can we have this seed? And so it's a really important question. It's basic. 
but I think it is the key to loving one another. So two things as we think about how, how might our souls be purified. The first thing that you have to do to have your soul purified is that you have to recognize that you, you have a need to be cleaned. Before your soul, this is, this is basic again here, before your soul is purified, you need to realize that you need to have your soul purified. Like you have to see that you, you, have, you have needs, and that you are imperfect and unclean. My son was playing out in the yard this, I think it was last week, it was snowy and slushy, and he was, he was sliding down the hill in our backyard on his knees and his nice school pants, really good idea, and just like sledding on his knees. And he came in, and he was a mess. And I said, son, you're going to, let's take your pants off. Let's put them in the washer. Maybe we need to burn them. I don't know what we're going to do. And he looked at me and said, no, dad, I'm fine. He said, I'm clean. I'm wearing these tomorrow. Like, no, son. Look at yourself. And, and he was looking at himself. And he looked clean enough to himself. I said, come here, come look in the mirror. Because he couldn't see down past his knees. So he was standing there. He couldn't see what was under his knee. And then he looked in the mirror and he saw literally complete brown from there down. And he said, oh, 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 okay, Dad. Finally, he got it. Once he saw the dirt, he's like, yeah, I need to get these clean. I can't wear these to school tomorrow. And it's, it's the same way with us when it comes to being cleaned by Jesus, like we, we have to see that, that we don't line up, take any of Jesus' teaching, any of Jesus' teaching, the Beatitudes, the great commandment, any of his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, how, do you, how do you line up? Loving your enemies, not getting angry, and patient and calm and self-sacrifice. Like, how, how do you line up to just Jesus' teaching in the New Testament? This is, this is not hard to talk about. I, we may get a little nervous talking about this with other people, but this, this is easy to talk about because we all instinctively know it if we just pause and think for a moment that deep down inside, we are not just pure before, before God. That attendance of church doesn't wipe away who we know we really are. It just doesn't do it. What does it mean to be pure? It means to be ritually clean before God. And I think if we were honest, all of us, all of us would say, that's not me. That's just, that's not where I am. And this is the first step of saying, I want to be pure by, I want to be, have my soul purified so that I can love others. But this is what makes the gospel so beautiful. Acts 15, Peter, actually the same Peter's talking to what's called the Jerusalem Council. And all these Jewish leaders are getting together and they're struggling because Gentiles are coming to, the, coming to faith in Jesus. And they're like, this is not what we were hoping for. It's not what we were expecting. And Peter gets up and says, God's love is non-discriminatory. Non-discriminatory. It is for all people. And he says to them, to these Jewish leaders in Acts 15, verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Once you recognize that your heart isn't cleansed and that you fall pretty short, way short, Cleansing and purity and the, new, and the, the imperishable seed comes 
through faith. Faith that says, Jesus paid the price for me. That Jesus' blood cleanses me. It makes me clean. That's what 1 John tells us. And so in faith we say, Jesus, you have lived for me and you have died for me and in you I am acceptable and I am pure. And this is the planting of the seed. And I know this is, I, this is simple. I mean, this is, this is the gospel. But listen, this is where it has to start. Why doesn't the church love the way that Peter tells us? Not because we're not working hard enough or that we're, we're just selfish. I think Peter is saying, the reason we don't love is that we haven't been purified. This is a natural production of this seed in your life. And so for us, it's where we start. We recognize and own that we are impure, and we claim Jesus in faith. This is what happened last week with our, with our baptisms, with Taryn's testimony. Do you remember what Taryn said? And it's, it's the, it is the key to coming to Christ. She said that she was a single mom, but she said, and she had all these, she, all these issues and all these problems, but there was one line that has stuck with me. She said, my life is messed up and I can be blamed for it. My life is messed up and I'm to blame. She's not pointing fingers. She's not explaining it away. She's saying, my mess is my fault, and Jesus changed everything. And so for us, this is where it starts, and I have to ask you, you know, if, if you're not loving people, and you're just an angry, bitter person who's impatient, whether you're a believer or not a believer, if this is just a, characterizes your life, that you're just you're, you're just not a loving person. The, the first question we have to ask is, have you come to a place in your life where you know for sure you put your faith in the Jesus who purifies your soul? Because if you haven't done that, well, that explains everything else. Because if you haven't done that, then you don't have the seed and you can't love the way that he's calling you to love. And if you haven't done that, like Taryn and Ellie and Grayson and the kids that were baptized last week, today's the day to say, I want that seed. I want my faith in Jesus. And I, I, I beat this drum a lot, and I'm not, I'm unapologetic for it, because it's, it's in our, if you look in the left side of the bulletin, before the habits of the disciple, you've become a believer you become the disciple before the habits, and that's exactly what Peter, this is exactly what Peter is showing us here. So, not only is it the seed, okay, that's the starting point, but Peter also goes on in chapter two to say, let me describe to you how to grow in growing in more like Jesus through loving others, through drinking the milk. So let's look again at verse two. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. I mean, that's a, that's a packed verse. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, so let's just think about this for a few minutes. 
Okay, the milk, the pure spiritual milk, that's the key of this verse. I mean, we've, we've got to know what that is. By it, you grow into salvation. So it's not talking about literal milk. It's, it's spiritual milk. But for us, as we leave, we've got, to, we've got to know without whatever that pure spiritual milk is, we're not growing because Peter's telling us this is the key to growth. And so what is the pure spiritual milk? Well, it's a tricky translation. Some translations will say the, the pure milk of the word. Some say like the ESV, the pure spiritual milk. Okay, I think it's all of those together. It's the word in Greek is the word logikos. It can be translated spiritual. can be translated of the word. I think Peter is saying it is, it is both of those. We're not talking about literal milk here, obviously. We're talking about the milk of the word of the gospel that it may change your life like it did in chapter one at the end of chapter one. And I think the key to kind of understanding is that verse three, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, there's lots of ways to use if statements. We've been playing who wants to be a millionaire uh, on our Alexa device. Um, yeah, that's what we play. We play that, we laugh about it. I said to Jack, I said, if, he's our youngest, if we win a million dollars, Jack, I'll buy you anything you want. He's like, whoa, anything? I said, son, it's just a game. It, like they don't actually give out money and we can't answer five questions anyway. So we're never gonna win a million dollars, son. But then that night at bed, I said to Jack, I said, if you go to sleep, Jack, I'll make you pancakes tomorrow. Okay, that's a very different kind of if statement. I'm saying he is about to go to sleep. It is, that if statement is saying, this is surely going to happen. It's since, or when you go to sleep, Jack, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you pancakes. And so two very different if statements saying two very different things, something that's never gonna happen, one that is surely gonna happen, and the Greek and the New Testament uses the same types of if statements. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, is not painting a situation that is, that is unlikely. Peter is, is, is saying, if, if and since you have tasted that the Lord is good, he's saying you have tasted the Lord is good. There's no question about it. What is tasting that the Lord is good? That is what we have been talking about. You've been purified. You've been given a new life. You've been made at one with Jesus. And so what he's saying is this. He's saying the same seed, listen, hear this, and, and we'll wrap up in a minute. He's saying this. The same seed that is planted that gives you eternal life, life with Jesus forever, okay, that purifies your soul that imperishable seed, that, that same seed is the same thing as the milk that causes us to grow. There is a connection between what he says at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two saying, it is, this is the power of the gospel. The, the word of God has the power to give you the imperishable seed and it is the same word of God, the gospel, that gives you the power to grow on a daily basis. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good, you have tasted that the Lord is good. This isn't about preferences. This isn't an acquired taste. I like how he says in the next verse, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Long for it. I mean, that's a, how, how is that possible? 
How can Peter tell us this? Long for, I need you to desire. If I commanded you to go home and like coffee, like how does that work? Like, well, the pastor's telling me I gotta like it, so I'm gonna drink it today. I took our, we took our staff out to, to lunch a couple months ago, and it's the best lunch place there is. Okay, yeah, that got your attention. Fridays and Saturdays um, at, at a farmer's market, West Shore's farmer's market, in Harrisburg, only on Fridays and Saturdays, this big market, farmer's market opens up. They have the best Vietnamese soup called pho, P-H-O, pronounced pho. Now you know, not pho, don't be that guy, pho. And I told our staff, this is the best. It's the best there is. And they're looking at me, you are weird. Like, where did you come from? I said, get in the van, we're all going to get the best pho in town. So we take them to, we take them to this market, and we're all there, and I said, you got to order. There's lots of options, great options, pizza and tacos. And I said, get the pho. Okay, you're going to get the pho because it's the best. Uh, and sweet Elizabeth got the pho. She's like, what are we doing? What is this? We get to our table, and she starts slurping this, this Vietnamese soup. And she's like, this is weird. This is not very good. It's a mess. I'm slow at eating it. I'm slurping everywhere. It's got strong flavor. And I said to her, no, love the pho. You must love it. You must like it. It's the best. How can you say it's not that good? It's really good. But that's not how it works, right? You can't, I can't command you to long for something that you just don't have a taste for. I mean, is that what Peter's doing? Is he saying, long for the gospel, long for the word of God, and hopefully it's something you like? That's not what he's doing, okay? This isn't about preferences. It's not like, well, I know you like Bible study, Pastor Matt. You talk a lot about that, but I like Christian music, and I like, I like prayer or I like listening to podcasts, or I have these really good friends in my life, and that's kind of my way of spiritual growth. That's, this, Peter is not, is not leaving that open as, as a possibility. He is saying, long for it. This is not an acquired taste. Sometimes you'll hear that with this verse. It's, you grow into liking it. He's saying, no, you've already tasted it, and you've already loved it. Remember verse three? If indeed... Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, you've all tried it. If you've had the seed planted in your life, if you've experienced new life, new birth, forgiveness, atonement with Jesus, we've experienced it with Jesus, and it is a it is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And he's saying, since you have tasted that the Lord is good and gracious, take this word and input it in your life. All the time, let the word that saved you inform you on how to grow and to love people all the time. It's not just planted in your life, but it's it's something you daily drink and it informs you. Listen, God's word, the gospel, informs you on a daily basis how you can do the hard command to love other people. Let me give you an example of this. I was taking my son to get a haircut I have lots of illustrations with my kids. I'm sorry. That's just my life. We were getting Truman a haircut. It was late. It was cold. Nobody was in there but one, one family. And, and the guy who was there with his kids was talking about an incident he had had that week in Lancaster City. He was driving his truck. And a car pulled out. 
And he hit the car because the car pulled out right in front of him. And he was mad, and I was mad with him. And he's telling me about the situation. And he said, the man didn't speak English. And he said, the man didn't have insurance. And the man could hardly communicate with me. And he, he just kept, continues to go on. He said, I, I didn't know what to do. I was so angry at this person. Um, I didn't want to call the police because that's not going to help. There, I'm not going to get money. He's not going to be able to fix my car if I call the police. And so I was stuck. And at this point, he starts to mock the man. His accent, his ignorance, his background, his status. And where I was upset with the situation at first, I'm starting to think, well, like, yeah, that's not the way to respond to the situation. And I didn't know how to feel. But then all of a sudden, God's word came streaming back into my mind. The wonderful book of Leviticus 19, verse 34 says this. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Where I was resonating with the man, I was understanding where he was, but then he started to mock him. And I thought, well, what, what do I supposed to think or feel or say in this moment? And then what happened? The milk of God's word informed my mind and my heart. How am I supposed to respond to this situation? What does God's word say? Love the alien. Love the outsider. Love the foreigner. Love the person that doesn't speak the language. Love the person that doesn't have the insurance. Why are we to do that? What does Leviticus 19 tell us? Because you are the alien. This is how God's word daily taken in speaks to and informs us on how we are to love. It reminds us of the gospel. Loving one another, it's impossible until you realize you are as bad as the person you're trying to love. If not for grace, if not for God's blessing and favor and mercy, you are that person that's not lovable. You are that person that messes up. And that passage in Leviticus 19, love the alien because you were the alien. And so here's what God's word does. It saves us. It's the seed. It's the gospel that changes us, gives us new life and a new capacity to love in a way that the world can't love. That's the first, but also the daily drinking of the milk of God's word is a daily reminder of the gospel, of the truth, of the story, of grace, of what God's done in your life, and it empowers you to love in that way. And so for us, we have to ask the question, am I daily drinking the word, letting it inform not just how I love, though that's the, that's the application here in 1 Peter, but am, am I letting it daily inform me with the truth of the gospel on how I'm to, to be generous and to be patient and to be sacrificing and to be kind and to share the gospel? Are we letting this cause us to grow up into how we love one another? May we be a church, Mount Calvary, May we be a church that sees the power of the milk of God's word to cause us and to remind us, to prompt us that we are to love like Jesus loved us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. God, help us to be thankful. Let's, let me pray that. 
Help me to be grateful for the message of Jesus. That I, that I am impure and I am lost and I can't stand before you if not for Jesus. God, I pray that you help us to be grateful and to be overcome by that truth. And we love that truth so much, the gospel, that we love it so much that we go to it every day, your word, every day because we are so overwhelmed with gratitude about your forgiveness for us, that we go to it on a daily basis and it informs us and leads us and teaches us and convicts us on how we are to love each other, something we just won't do, we can't do, if not for your word growing us up into your salvation with Jesus Christ. So help us change our hearts to see the value of your word, of love, and God, I pray that this week, for every person in this room, for everyone that's listening online, God, that, that by the power of your spirit, you would help us all, me included, to experience what it's like to have your word inform and direct us as we live our lives. I pray that you would help us to have that experience. Something that we read in the morning would impact and would come before us as we live our daily lives that we could have a chance to grow by practice because of your word. And so God, I pray that you do that, that we meditate and drink and long for your word, and that you use that word to give us an opportunity to love somebody else this week. We ask it all in the name of your son, amen.